Big week. Thrones is back. Mm, yeah, for for the throne. Hmm? That's I think that's the hashtag they've been using. Hashtag for the throne. Oh, is that the official one? Uh well, I mean who can say? Yeah. Yeah, I've been brushing up on my uh Dothraki. And yeah, I'm super, super excited for this this television event. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it started last week, so you you know. Yeah. I'm so happy to not care about this. When uh, it was on ATP this week, but John Syracuse did have a, a good point, um, and like the people were talking about the fact, like just the gratuitous violence and, and the problems with the show, or the reasons why somebody might not like it. But John was saying it'd be cool if they ever did like a cable version of it, where they maybe edited out the excessive and unnecessary stuff, because allegedly it has actually a good story. So the, I mean, I guess maybe you could say this about almost any movie or television program but the funny thing is that the gratuitous sex and violence that's in the show really doesn't add a lot well yeah that's the whole point where like and he and and again not to just uh do commentary on another show but uh syracuse brought up um breaking bad as an example of a show that maybe went too far and i actually thought breaking bad generally struck a good balance on uh, a show that was supposed to be gritty and deal with stuff like a world that is inherently violent and that kind of stuff, but wasn't over the top about it. Like Game, I think Game of Thrones would function really well as a. I don't, I don't know the TV ratings quite as well, but like thinking about moving rate movie ratings, it's very much like a hard rated R type movie. Mm-hmm. But it would it would function perfectly well as a PG thirteen type movie. Yeah, so if there was some cut for, like, a, a recut for people who don't care for that kind of stuff, I would enjoy the show. I'm, I mean, I know that's a not HBO's thing, but, yeah, it might, might be another way they can go. But also, um, the story, you know, don't don't oversell it. Okay, that's fine. It's, it's a little, it's a little, um, it's a little high in its own supply, as the kids say. Is that a drug thing? It is, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the only other thing I've absorbed from my my uh, mandated 10 minutes a day on Twitter is that apparently there's a character uh, that has the same name as your dog, and that's cool. Uh, there are... I think there are a few. I mean, there's one main one. But Wait, what? I think There's multiple yeah. characters with the exact same name? <sighs> like, there's one that's, like, current in the story, but I think there are others with the same name, like, in the um, the lore as you would say. Okay, I've immediately tuned out and don't care. In the backstory, as the as a layman would say. Yeah, no. I'm a, I'm good. I don't It's mi- it's a, it's a fun show. Mm. I just want better Saul call back and apparently that's wait. Better call Saul, not better Saul call. Have another mimosa over there, jeez. Uh no, it's 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 my uh bourbon tea party or whatever the spin, I forget what the spindrift co- cocktail is called but oh, so, so can we can we talk about that I we, meant to we, ask we you can this. make this the spindrift radio hour we, it basically okay. already is we can try to <laughs> see if we can get this become a, a branded podcast like everything oh that's a good idea it's, uh, it's that, a pivot that's the only way we're gonna make money on this deal <laughs> uh yeah um, we, what's up so the the bourbon tea party they have great great cocktail names so this is the spindrift half and half Mm-hmm. And then it's some form of whiskey, right? 
uh i have the bullet bullet uh oh that you i don't know it has a it has a superfluous u in it oh, what is it oh no it's it's bullet then then tell them the this is america and we can we, we get this not we're not this is not kalur this is not col this is not canada so oh. i don't i don't need this <laughs> So bullet, okay. Now, did you get the? I, I I remember when I asked you, where I was like, I need to stock up my uh like um craft cocktail like a uh, pantry or whatever you'd call it. Liquor cabinet sounds like too much of a of a loaded term. Um, and you you said that was a good, reasonably priced, average quality um uh, bourbon and whiskey brand. Yeah, bullets bullets great. Bullets are really good go to in that it's. It's pretty tasty. It's extremely affordable. You can get like a gallon of it for like $30 at Costco. So hold on. So no, we don't measure. No, I, I, I will never buy okay, uh, a okay, booze okay, by okay, the Bulet. gallon. Hey, <laughs> I, I buy my Tito's and my, and my Bullet at Trader Joe's and that's all I need. Yeah, buying any type of liquor by the in, in a comically large or party sized um quantity is is not really my thing well the the bullet i like to buy i don't i actually don't buy much alcohol from costco but the bullet i do because i'll use it in old fashions Mm -hmm. which is kind of a go-to for me so if i buy one of those from costco you know it'll last you know some number of months so yeah and real-time follow-up i was mistaken it doesn't have a superfluous u in it it has a superfluous i in it yeah, I um, I had to pull open the spelling just because I I didn't yeah, recall it. Make fun of me appropriately. Yeah, right. Um, so okay. So an- another important question before I get to the question I was originally going to ask. Mm-hmm. Actually, the question I was originally going to ask was what type <laughs> of whiskey mess. you're using. So you, you've already answered that. So well, so I have another- I have both because I I was it's it's like USB C versus Thunderbolt. I didn't know which was which. So I had to, I bought rye whiskey and also bourbon, which is the same brand. And technically, if I was colorblind, would not be able to tell. And I assume is not really different, uh, easy to taste the difference. Yeah, if we're being honest, there's not a ton of difference. So the so I have both at home as well. And the the rye I really only use for Manhattans because that that's kind of the only cocktail that I'll drink on a semi regular basis that calls for rye whiskey as opposed to a bourbon i'm assuming that the spindrift recipe probably calls for a bourbon well um i'll put a link does it not specify i'll put a link in the robot for you but it actually says uh one and a half ounces of bourbon or whiskey your choice does it wait it says bourbon or whiskey Mm -hmm. oh well it's bourbon or whiskey of your choice because bourbon is a type of whiskey. So if they said bourbon or whiskey, then I would have some questions about that. Jesus. But I, I understand. Me today. <laughs> um, the, the first time I made this, I actually inadvertently made a very watered down one. Because I didn't pay attention to the very last part where it says four ounces of Spindrift. And it's a 12 ounce filled, can. You just filled the glass. Well, I filled the glass to the most part, which which is about two thirds of a can. So it'd be about eight ounces. So it was actually diluted. And I actually mm, think I preferred a, it that way. Fixer, some fixer upper math right there. It certainly is. <laughs> I assume that's how Chip made. If, if Chip ran a bar, he would, he, he would be very weak on the cocktails. Because he's trying to uh, make sure you're right. What does he always say? You're immediately like 20,000 upside on this house. <laughs> yeah, right. Shady Chip. 
So do you, do you, um, <laughs> what? I don't know. I, I still dislike the fact that this book was named Capital Gains. That's too dumb. It's pretty, it's pretty It's good. too dumb and too clever and also too dumb. I don't know which. I keep waffling back and forth. The title was fine. I didn't really much care for the uh, cover photo. Oh, I, I don't either. But here's the thing that makes it all okay is that uh, jo- uh, Jojo has a book named Homebody and that's just perfect. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. So do you, so the, I guess let me ask a question I didn't think of at the top since you've already proactively answered my others. Mm-hmm. The The sugar, do you use... Uh, granular sugar or do you use simple syrup so i wasn't planning for this so i didn't know so one i'm trying to cut out a lot of sugar in my life and apparently i was looking to see if they had any like stevia based simple syrups and apparently they used to but it got discontinued so i assume for some reason it wasn't it, it wasn't very effective um so i do use i didn't know simple syrup and this were substitutable in that way because like for the other cocktail i really like a uh, french 75 which is uh gin and champagne uh that one calls for simple syrup that is a very if you ever whenever you make it to the german washing machine that is our specialty yeah i've historically not really been a gin guy but in the last year or so have kind of discovered gin still not really like a regular thing but if um, if if you and the special lady friend enjoy sparkling wine you owe it to yourselves to give it a shot it is it is really good it's 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 just um yeah, it's it's an ounce and a half of gin, uh, of gin uh, three ounces of champagne, and then a little lemon juice, and it's uh, amazing. So, what's your go-to gin? Whatever Trader Joe's has. I don't know the brand name. Uh, like again, I'm not I, I'm not brand loyal um, to liquor. Like I, I'm not I'm not I'm not going down to like the Charles Shaw level or whatever the what's the it's uh, Andre. What's it was it, um. That's the super hey, cheap sparkling you, wine. You you be you be careful with what you say about Andre. Whoa, wait, are, what? Can well, what, mean, what it, are we it, talking about? It it holds a special place in my heart from college years. Mm, if you're gonna cheap out on sparkling wine, you have to go with the uh, Chevalier uh, five forty nine sparkling wine at Trader Joe's, which is very good for the price. Hmm. Yeah, but otherwise, you get you go for your Corbel or um, like Gloria Ferrer if you want like a nice mid range one. Actually, probably lower first. mid-range. Very, very nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, J Wines, I'm not super happy with ever since they got bought by Gallo. This is very... Do you, ever, do you ever realize that people in Northern California know too much about wine or think they do? I'm See, I'm the type that just admits that I don't know anything about wine. I mean, I, I very much enjoy wine, and I, I really enjoy wine tasting, but I'll be, I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, yeah, I don't really know much about wine. The best parts about wine tasting and not every tasting room does this, but especially if you have um, like ever have like a wine tasting party is for sparkling wines, particularly um, having like a salty snack in between to cleanse the palate is very, very nice. So it's a great um, it's a great time to have potato chips in between getting getting mm. sauced. So pro tip. Did you say in between getting sauced? Yeah, is that. that- that that is a term young people use as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the young people use it, okay. <laughs> young or people in their seventies who <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know what contemporary terms are. I still barely learned what get lit means. I mean, you you pronounced it bullet. So again, I I will admit that I did not at <laughs> all. But again, it's their fault for having an extra eye that didn't need to be there. Oh, it was an I, not a U. Right. It was, but yeah, but there I knew there was an extra letter in it where I'm like, am I pronouncing this the right way? <laughs> So, yeah. although I really I should be making fun of you for pronunciation. 
So yeah, so the, uh, as part of the Spindrift Radio Hour, people should give the uh, give the Boston uh, the Bourbon Tea Party a try because it uses the best flavor of Spindrift that there is, which is half and half. Oh, that would have been such a better name, Boston Tea Party, because it's well, tea that's what it is. It. That's the whole point. That's what it's a joke on, or that's what it's a pun on. Oh, okay. They should have just called it Boston Tea Party. Well, but then, but what about it? Has it? Uh, what about it? Screams Boston. It doesn't say like tea. rowdy. They threw tea into the harbor. Well, yeah, it? but that's that's why it's a pun. <laughs> it's literally the joke. You can insert the little McBain thing. Um, so okay, okay, let me ask you I have one final question here. Mm-hmm. So the the drink that's in the photo here is garnished with. I'm gonna go with a mint, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you do you garnish your your drinks? Um, if I'm planning, like if if I'm having people over, or if I'm like really planning it out. Yes, but otherwise, I think it adds very, very little. So, therefore, if it's just me or somebody I'm, I know, like, I mean, no, it depends if you're trying to be fancy or not. I like, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't find garnishes that that fun or, or worthwhile. I have a general kind of standing policy where I don't want to see green stuff in my cocktails or my desserts. Uh, what? What? Explain the dessert part. I just I, like putting herbs and things in dessert, like trying to make desserts like you hear this a lot on the Food Network when people are making desserts. They go, oh, I, I don't want to make this too sweet. So then they add savory stuff, which is typically in the form of an herb, which I just I just don't get. If you're going to make dessert and eat dessert, embrace it, make it sugary, make it sweet, make it delicious. Don't try to half acid or balance it out with i disagree green stuff i think you're very wrong this is somebody yeah, most most people do that's fine. yeah here's the thing like uh, we maybe five or ten years ago there was like a cupcake renaissance and that became like super fancy like five dollar cupcakes became a thing in the bay area and i assume nationwide eventually um but i'm somebody who generally will try to politely uh discard three quarters of the frosting on a cupcake because that's how much frosting there should have been. You're a you're a you're a monster. I'm not a monster because they're um, it's just too do, much. What do you do with the rest of the frosting? You just literally throw it away. Yeah, you, you gently take a paper towel and you just you kind of like just pinch three quarters of the frosting away, and that's the exact right amount. Like having a th- a bite of a cupcake that has like an inch high thing of frosting, it, it it's gross and it's too sweet. Like I'm just I'm just making it proportional. Like that's that's where I uh, again the German washing machine fixes everything because we don't make food that is only that is designed for presentation before taste. So what do you don't tell me that you serve like the tiny little mini cupcakes that are like barely a bite's worth. No, no, but again that's it's not the size of the cupcake. The issue is the proportion of frosting to the cupcake cake. Like the bready part. So do you do you literally serve a cupcake with just a tiny bit of frosting on top? It, it depends if I like I, I'm not baking much these days, but I'm like, I'm just saying in general, like you just you there should be way less frosting on cupcakes. This is not interesting or technology related. Yeah. Should we should we start over? We, we, we maybe we should. No, it's late. Let's keep going. <laughs> um, again, and again, we'll change the name of the show. Um, so to uh, bulletly correct. <laughs> no, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to find a really hard edit point for you. So that way you have to work if you want to keep that in. Or I'm going to go edit my track to make sure to find a way to destroy that. 
So on spindiff.com, free shipping on all subscriptions and orders of four cases. Maybe I should get into the business where I'm ordering cases of Spindrift. Wait, 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 wait. Go back to the there, thing where there, I sent you the link. Spin, there's Spindrift subscriptions? Oh, this this is that again. This is where I think Spindrift is is way ahead of the ahead of the curve, and like going super hard for the millennials, where they have subscriptions. They have a whole section of uh, boozy sparkling cocktails. Actually, I assume, well, actually that's kind of redundant, but you know what I mean. Wait, where? How can I subscribe? Why am I hunting around targets like an animal when I could just have these delivered to my home? I don't do this. I I I there there. Are, if people I enjoy on the internet who will go, um, who will get like paper towels delivered from Amazon just because they don't want to go to Safeway. Like I, I don't think things of a certain weight should not be delivered. I, I don't. How do I? How do I find out what the subscription is? I don't you just click on any flavor. So again, click on the best one, half and half, and then you can go to subscription, and you say deliver every fourteen days or ever however much you want. Well, can you? You can only have like specific flavors delivered. Um, they also, if you scroll down a little bit further, they have the same variety packs you can get at a Costco. And I don't know, I assume. Yep. No, you can also subscribe to those as well. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, so I, I saw this in the store the other day, the only spin drift that get, well, the half and half doesn't make me excited, but the other one that kind of gives me pause is they have a, uh, cucumber. No flavor, God. which also kind of i guess actually when i said before you know keep green stuff out of my cocktails and desserts i I should also expand that into my water as well unless it's a lime then a lime's allowed but other green stuff stay out of my water you mean you're not you're not just throwing watermelon and uh, cucumber slices into your dog's bowl you don't think he's appreciating it (laughs) he you know he just he's a he's a plain water guy simple dog (laughs) you gave him some you gave him some soda stream stuff and he just rejected it got it i wonder what i assume dogs would think about that yeah he probably wouldn't like that i don't actually i don't think i don't hmm actually try it let's give him a plain one i'm actually curious now hmm yeah okay all right and then before we get to the main stuff uh we already kind of talked about this online offline but have you ever seen an ad that immediately makes you hate a company you already know the one i'm going to talk about but but independently do you have one that you've ever seen you're like that this is dumb the do you remember the the carl's jr commercials from back in the day yeah but those don't count well because those were too dumb you mean like the paris hilton ones or the ones where it was like fast food but it was also like gross like degrading women stuff you're right yeah but that's that's why carl's jr and apparently west of the mississippi or sorry east the other side um they are Hardee's or something like that. That's always been a gross fast food chain and they deserve to be last place or whatever they're at. I, I'm, I'm surprised you, you were able to pronounce that one. That also has an extra letter in it. Which one? Isn't it two E's? Well, yeah, but that doesn't change how you'd say it. Actually, if, if anything, it helps how you'd say it. It adds specificity. It's, it's like, a, it has like, um, like diacriticals built into it. What, what'd you call me? How do you not know these words? Anyway, <laughs> diacritical. I, 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 that's a, that's an SAT word. I don't it, know it's a Jerry word. Um, no, or sorry, I was thinking of the phonetic spelling, but diacritical is close. Anyway, so there was this thing that was on Instagram earlier, and and you maybe you can throw this on Imager or whatever, and you can put it. In. It was just it was it was a an ad for some dumb company called Health IQ, which is some um, health insurance startup, and it was using a bunch of targeted stuff. And it's weird because one, I don't know what 
dumb data Facebook has on me that makes them think these things actually apply. But it, it says uh, if you're income of a certain level. And I would say that this is a fairly high. Like, I can't tell if they think based off of somebody's search history, they're able to guess their income level. Or if they're just like, we think a bunch of people in the Bay Area make this much. I can't tell if it's a geographic thing or a web browsing thing. And then it says if you run a nine-minute mile, you get health insurance for whatever rate. And I just thought this, like, this is so dumb because, one, who buys or who gets in, uh, incentivized to buy or research a financial instrument because of an ad on Instagram? And also, like, if you don't get the targeting right, like, it, it just seems like such a douchey ad. I don't know. Yeah, you you had a good description of it offline. Let me see if I can find this in the thing. Yeah, you you said marketing financial products on social media is weird and shallow. And I I agree with that because I always interpret these types of ads as really trying to take advantage of people in the sense that they're counting on some percentage of people not really doing the type of due diligence you'd want to do before buying something like this and instead just kind of clicking through on the the splashy ad which i I don't i don't i don't like trying to i mean deceiving people period is obviously not good but when you're (laughs) deceiving when you're deceiving people over important life and financial decisions that's that's extra bad yeah or there just needs to be like an amount of gravity and seriousness to certain products and I think right. the mass, and same reason why I think like Quicken Loans Arena and like a lot of, and like guaranteed rate field, I think some sponsorships are just like, there are certain companies that shouldn't be able to buy that stuff. I know there's no way, no way of enforcing that, but like, that's, that's dumb. Yeah, like, like I'm going to go refinance my house. Well, sorry, I'm never going to own a house, but if somebody to refinance their house because LeBron plays at Quicken Loans Arena, get out of here. Uh, well, so so real time follow up. The mm-hmm. uh, Quicken. I actually meant to tell you about this when I heard about this. The <laughs> Quicken Loans Arena is being renamed. S- did the co- same company go to a Rocket Mortgage? What the fuck is this? Rocket, Rocket Mortgage, Mortgage Fieldhouse, Fieldhouse Capital yeah. H. Mm-hmm. And oh, I'm, it, I'm seeing lowercase H. I'm I'm looking at I'm using the um, right third info box that Google made to make sure you don't click anywhere else, so nobody gets clicks from them. And then not to pay out on ads. Uh, yeah, so it's at Ro- it says Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse Capital H is what comes up after uh, Quicken Loans Arena. And apparently it's right by uh, Progressive Field, which I assume is based off the insurance company, which speaks to what we literally just talked about. Yeah, I'm on uh, just MBA.com, and I'll, I'll put a link to this article that I found in the notes. And yeah, it does have the capital H, which... Hmm. What is it used to be called Gund Arena? What the hell is that? Eh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, that's that's silly. So that actually, uh, I'm sure you you didn't plan it, but let's let's give you credit for it. Uh, that brings us right into follow up. Actually, let's push one of the things that we actually filed away as new stuff and pretend it was follow up. So uh, the opening season of the, or the, the opening seasons of the Giants baseball started. Let's just go with that. Did it? And, did it start? Hmm. I, many things we, we talked, I, did we talk, was this an on the show conversation or was this offline where I talked about, I'm kind of a little bit for the most part right now over the giants. Yeah. I I try to convince you to start following the sharks. Although, oh yeah, I, tomorrow, tomorrow might be your last chance. It's 
fine. Yeah, I, I was in San Jose on Saturday, and there were a bunch of rowdy uh, sharky people, so that was uh, uh, discouraging. So therefore, I have not watched any sharks um, stuff this week. They they weren't even playing Saturday. Saturday or Sunday, one of them. There were there were a bunch of people in jerseys, so I assume a game was going on, or is it just that it, San Jose has a whole lot of pride, so therefore everybody is in jerseys all the time? Well, they they do like viewing parties during the playoffs, so you you must have been there on either Friday or Sunday. Okay, that might have been it. Um. So yeah. So uh, the Giants apparently play at some place called Oracle Park, which which sounds like a trick and, and a made up thing. So I'm not I'm actually gonna I'm not gonna dignify it, but apparently. AT&T Park. Um, the, the Giants are struggling to draw a crowd after a couple of lackluster seasons. Um, and, and I mean, the, the comps are difficult uh, to a team that had a run from 2010 to 2015 of three World Series. And, and the two seasons they didn't win were pretty strong seasons. Um, so apparently uh, maintaining their existing base of, well, I'm speaking of this in a really clinical businessy way, sorry. Um maintaining their uh season ticket holders apparently is very very challenging um because people are pissed that when they're unloading the tickets or the games they don't go to on StubHub and stuff they're getting pennies on the dollar and stuff like that so uh there was one part of this san francisco chronicle article that i think you latched onto, and, and i i think we have very different opinions on uh where was it it said something about social event yes so, uh, quote, in a bid to attract younger fans, the Giants adopted a popular strategy used elsewhere and introduced a $35 monthly standing room only pass that allows fans to come to every game and roam the ballpark as a social event. The club ripped out several rows of seats in the centerfield bleachers to build a gathering spot. So you had a very negative reaction to this. That, it, that just sounds like my worst nightmare. That sounds like something that somebody should pay me $35 a month to do. I, I don't just I, I don't want to stand and walk around for three hours in these big crowds of people with well, nowhere well, to sit. Real time follow up. They're not big crowds, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, nice. You walked done. into that. Yeah. Um Yeah, so, no, I you're right, I walked into it because I don't have a seat. <laughs> if we ever have a highlight of the show, that's that's, that's gonna be on it. Um yeah, so so uh, yeah, I'm gonna disagree with you immediately before you even get your point out. Like, <laughs> do, do, I the majority of the enjoyment of like in excluding the past two seasons where I've gotten really um, disenchanted with um, the Fairweather fans and kind of the uh, all the tech workers that go to Giants games don't stay until the end and uh, are just but annoying. Um, well, because they'd rather go to the twelve forty five p.m. Tuesday games, which they somehow can do. Yeah, like I, it's it, like those people. No, okay, but like that's what's ruined the game for me because it's no like I like the environment. Like generally, like when I move or when we moved up here, like right as they were getting good, like it was just like you you could get a cheap seat up in the up in the three or four hundreds, and you could just get a hot dog and you can just enjoy the atmosphere like it's it's a beautiful ballpark it's right on the water you're it's like stuff's going on for for the most part like it's a nice social event and i actually think like if i worked in uh like uh rincon hill or south beach or the financial district like in, in an area that was adjacent to the ballpark like having the ability to go and just kind of pop into the ballpark would actually be like a really cool thing like you don't have to, you don't have to stay for three hours without a seat, but you can go 
get something to eat, get an overpriced beer, and just wander around and just be, I don't know, most people are happy at a baseball game. Like, I, I think that's actually not a bad thing. So, okay. I I understand the theory behind this, and I, I get why a service like this would be offered. Because when you go to a baseball game, I totally get that, unlike basically every other sport that you go to and see live, you really don't need to be plugged in the whole game. You can you, be ha- you can be having some conversations, you can enjoy some food, you can kind of casually, you know, check in on the game from time to time. So like I, I get that, but I would just rather be in a seat when I'm doing that and not not roaming around. I think you could you could because the problem is they're having trouble filling the seats. As long as you're not in like the 100s, I assume they don't care if you sit so down for 10 minutes. So that so that was going to be one of my questions about this is how how in the world if there are a bunch of empty seats, how do they prevent people who just pay this $35 a month from just grabbing a random seat and sitting down? Like I assume they don't like make you wear like a bracelet or something. A scarlet letter that, or like some, some like, yeah, something like right. some, like they pin a little thing to the front of your shirt that says, uh, like, I don't have a seat or right, right. like, um, no, but I, I assume it's kind of like, like most ballparks that I've been to, like they only have, um, ushers slash security guards. I don't know what the, the term is these days. Cause it's kind of both now, uh, checking tickets to make sure you're not going into the good seats without an, uh, an appropriate ticket. Because like if you have a game where like a large number of uh, tech workers have left, um, like yeah, you you don't just trade your three hundred seats and go down to the one hundreds and like live sit right near the the Lexus dugout or whatever the dumb name is. Um, so I but the thing is I assume in the in the upper deck like they there's nobody doing that and why would they care? So I assume you could sit and you probably maybe like maybe you might be noticed if you're sitting there for three the whole entire game. But generally, you're roaming around and doing stuff, and you're trying to avoid seagulls and stuff. I just, I don't want any part of this. So yeah, so I mean, it's it's whatever. Like, I, I, I just didn't have as negative a reaction as you did to it, and I thought it was actually kind of cool. Um, and again, if I worked downtown, that might be something that I would I would take up. And then, so this, I actually didn't, I don't really understand what this means. I mean, I, I think I know what it means, but maybe it doesn't, or maybe you can clarify so the second lady you put in here is that um, the Giants are exploring moving in the fences. Does that literally just mean shrinking the field so it's easier to hit home runs? Yeah, exactly. That seems dumb. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the, the article cites a bunch of home run statistics and how they're fairly low at uh, Oracle Park. So the what? <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Um, so they, they, as a way of making people, I guess, want to roam around less and actually pay more attention to the game, they want there to be more home runs. Yeah, this, this, this isn't a startups S1. You can't just like change the rules of accounting to make it so things look better. Like you can't, that's, that's the, that's exactly what this is. Like you can't, you can't do that. It's actually one of my kind of pet peeves about baseball i think it's really dumb that well it's not standardized like certain parks have different dynamics and i know like that's the whole thing where boston has what's it called the green monster yes 
Okay. Um, like, yeah, I thought that, like, you have different parks and they have different dynamics, and that's kind of where uh, a team, like a home team, can really get to know their park and kind of have an advantage over another. Like, I mean, I thought that was always kind of cool. But the whole point of a re- of altering the the geometry of a ballpark only to to juice the stats to you know to the Barry Bonds it like that's not that's not great. No. Yeah. All right. So move, moving back or moving forward into follow up, um, we will talk about smoothies in a second. Um, uh, this is this was a dumb week uh, of Tesla news, and I'm and I. And, and I'm sorry that you are the de facto representative and um, <laughs> and you, by obligation, it's part of your purchase agreement, I'm sure, that you have to defend the company at every at every turn. But um, Elon Musk is a fucking idiot. And he's had a, a, a bunch of bangers of really dumb tweets this week. So we're not going to talk about the obvious one yet. I'm going to do this one. Uh so apparently, he again, people keep defying the laws of finance. So Elon Musk said, uh, quote, buying a car today is an investment into the future. I think the most profound thing is that if you buy a Tesla today, I believe you are buying an appreciating asset, not a depreciating asset due to the self-driving AI. I think my response to you in the thing was... Well, no, this is different. You, there, there's two unique quotes. So well, this, but, but the, the premise is the same. But yeah, I think what I said to you was he's had a lot of really dumb tweets, but this is right up there at the top. Yeah. And the other one, the one this is this is a verbatim tweet from him. Buying a car in twenty nineteen that can't upgrade to full self driving. It's like buying a horse instead of a car in nineteen nineteen. <sighs> um uh, So okay, so let, let's get to the, the, the news here. More mm-hmm. pricing shenanigans. So, if you'll recall, Carlos, th- three years ago at this point, I remember my thirty-five thousand dollars Model Three. I don't know what's up. Exactly. So, when the Model Three was announced, even before they showed any photos of it or really gave any details about it, like the first thing they ever announced was this is going to be a thirty-five thousand dollars car, and that was the headline feature all the way up through its rollout. And of course, famously, when they started delivering the car a year and a half ago, they were only making available a significantly upgraded version, which is the one that I have now, which is really nowhere near $35,000. And they somewhat surprisingly, about a month and a half ago, after just a few weeks prior to that, saying the $35,000 version was still a little ways away, actually said, hey, we're now taking orders and we'll be delivering these in two to four weeks. And Electric, um, which is the kind of uh, EV blog that I follow and some others, started noticing that um, after that two to four week delivery window, nobody had gotten their uh, base uh, Model 3. And I think we mentioned this on the show, like Tesla was calling people, like even trying to get them to upgrade to the uh, standard plus version, which is $2,500 more. So that starts at $37,500. And Electric and others also noticed that like when you would go on a Tesla's website, the uh, 
gross weight and the battery size was exactly the same between the standard $35,000 model and the standard plus model, despite the fact that the standard plus had the battery size. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like 30 miles of additional range. And so, and Tesla was being like really cagey about, um, why that was the case. So it turns out that what they decided to do was never actually ship the $35,000 model three. And instead what they're doing is for those who ordered that version of the car, they're actually just giving them the standard plus version, which actually ends up being good for those people because in addition to the uh, lesser range of the standard version, it was also going to have like cloth seats um, and some other interior changes. But I'm thinking to do some like weird software restrictions to it or something. Right. But so, so the, these people now who ordered the $35,000 model three um, are actually getting the nicer interior that they otherwise would have had to pay more for. It's just very similar interior to like what I have. Um, but they are being software locked out of some range out of basically all like internet connected features. So like live traffic, things like that, that's all behind a software lock. But essentially what this means is that the kind of in air quotes, $35,000 model three is actually just a software locked version of the. 37,500 standard plus version of the car. And then on top of that, if you go on a tesla.com and you go into the model three configurator, um, the $35,000 car is actually not even available to order on a go forward basis. Tesla saying that it's a, um, off menu purchase, which, which they have for, uh, some of their other options as well. Um, so you, you have to like call them to put in an order. Um, but, um, I mean, that's, that, that's, <laughs> that's gonna like every, every other time they've done that, basically what happens is they say that initially, but then over time they just basically get rid of it. I find it very funny that you use the term go forward basis. That's very, that's, uh, <laughs> um, and actually, so I should be a little clear here, perhaps some real time follow up. So the standard plus, which is now the non-software locked version of the $35,000 Model 3. So I, I should, what I should be saying is it used to cost $37,500. But what they're now doing is they are bundling in autopilot into all new cars. Um, is that the feature that makes it not a horse? Apparently. Um, and so, the, and that adds $2,000 onto the price of each car. Whereas if you added it after, or if you added it as part of your purchase previously, it was a $3,000 option. So they're saying that they kind of cut the price of autopilot, but now they're making it mandatory. So now actually the standard plus car costs 39,500. And that, you know, that includes autopilot. What's strange though, and I, I don't know if we've really gone into the detail on this on air, but as part of some batch of changes, it's hard to keep track of which batch of changes this occurred in, Tesla stopped selling 
what they were calling enhanced autopilot, which is what I have. And instead, they just now have autopilot and then full self-driving. So when you buy autopilot, the the non-enhanced version now, you don't get things like this whole navigate on autopilot thing, which we talked about on last week's show. This, the standard autopilot now just includes basically adaptive cruise control with lane centering, and that's it. And so these features like navigate on autopilot and um, the enhanced summon feature, which is starting to roll out, like things like that, you don't get, and you have to go up to the full self-driving package. It's, it's, it's such a mess. Yeah, but the the two things I think you're burying are, well, one, maybe you can explain this to me. Like, they've also, at the very bottom of their press release, says, uh, to, f- to further simplify our line beginning today, customers will also need to call or visit a Tesla store to get Model 3 long-range rear-wheel drive. Like, how on earth, is, like, are they, is that just to discourage people from buying it? How on earth is not having that offered online better? I think what for so for people who are in that price range now, I think what they're trying to push people towards is the dual motor version. So it's just to have like a customer touch point where you get talked into something else. Yeah, <laughs> just just like the thirty five thousand dollar car. I mean, that's exactly what that would basically turned out to be too. Um. So yeah, maybe you know what, Carlos? Maybe my Tesla will become. Uh, an appreciating asset because I now I now have a version. So I do have the long range real rear wheel version, so I have a, a discontinued. You have a limited edition. Yeah, you have an exactly. iPod sock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, now you have to rename your car. No, you're so you're bearing <laughs> you're, the the most important part of this thing though, and you people can read that as the dumbest part. So apparently now you can lease a Model Three, which you could do, you could do for the Model S and the Model X before, but. Um, but the one thing about Tesla leasing that you, people should know is that customers who uh, lease uh, over purchasing to own it can't buy the car at the end of the lease. And there's an important reason for that, Ryan. Because with full autonomy coming in the future via an over-the-air update, we plan to use those vehicles in the Tesla ride-hailing network. So that's why you can't buy your car at the end of three years. Because remember, your car is making money for you while you're at work. So they want all these cars back. So dumb. It, it, <laughs> I, it, how, I just, how is there nobody who has the job of telling whoever writes this shit that no, you can't keep saying stuff that's verifiably going to become a lie in 12 months? Well, and I mean, people may already um, write the story now and then just defer publishing for 36 months from today mm-hmm. about how the first batch of Model 3 leases are expiring and Tesla's nowhere even close to having full self-driving out there. And so they're now giving people the option to buy out their Model 3s. Like, you, that's going to happen. Well, they've already pulled shitty stuff like that where like with where Marco got uh, told like he, he had a Model S that was um, the, the lease was going to end in six months and they wanted to juice their sales numbers where they uh, called him and tried to get him to sign a new one. So yeah, I assume they're going to change that when this totally doesn't come to fruition. So, so I think, I think you've actually buried the lead. <laughs> what um, else is there in here? 
Well, so it's it's not in this press release. It actually came in the form, of course, of some other Elon tweets and then some other news that they had announced separately of this press release. But it's it's very much related to this leasing thing and the, the self-driving component. Mm-hmm. So Tesla is having a... It's actually... They're, they're framing it as a shareholder event, but they're... <laughs> They're going to live stream it to the public. So everybody's going to be able to see it. Um, and it's sometime next week. I think it's like Tuesday of next week or something. And it's, it's, an, it's an event that's going to be focused on their roadmap for rolling out self-driving. And at least that's what they're saying. And so they, they announced that a few weeks ago. And then I think this was last week. Elon started tweeting about how what they're going to do is starting on May 1st, so about a week after this event, they're going to start significantly increasing the price of the option to add self-driving to your Tesla, which you can do you know, through an over-the-air software update at any time. So just another like blatant cash, cash grab. How is that not, how is that not financial, financial manipulation? Right or or like material manipulation of the com- of the company's stock if they're trying to juice um, cash flows in advance of this because he he just says random shit like that you can't say that right like if Tim Cook was said like we're we're gonna we're gonna jack up the price of iCloud storage because we want we want more services revenue and never do it like you can't you can't just see that's what that's where Tesla's re- I think really maybe missing out is instead of these one time purchases well, wh- what why they really it, why should does, be doing why doesn't Tesla become a streaming music service right. Uh, I mean, it's, um, I mean, you, you know that I, I, I can make a, a fair number of frivolous purchases. There are no. a, just an endless, <laughs> endless list of those, which we've discussed on this show. Mm-hmm. But the idea to me that someone would, would buy this self-driving update on their Tesla with absolutely no definitive timeline or fleshed out set of features is just it's crazy to me even after this event they have next week like i'm sure it's going to be flashy and they're gonna they're gonna they'll probably even start to put some dates on stuff but like i mean tesla putting a date on something (laughs) just i mean it's just not worth a lot right so I, I, it, it's crazy to me that people are pr- giving Tesla this money. I just, it just doesn't, it doesn't make it, it. It's crazy to me. They're even allowed to charge people the way that they are. Yeah. And Apple should get people more than five gigs of storage space, but here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, actually that, that flows right into this. Hey, Apple TV. Uh, so did we, we talked about Disney plus at length last week, right? We did. Okay. So this was actually, I, I don't remember why this was actually in here, but um, what do you, uh, stepping back, okay, stepping back for a second. Do you think now that Apple is in the streaming is going to be in the streaming video, like original content business, do you think that leads to any conflicts of interest? Like the fact that um, there's a, uh, Bob Iger is on the board of Disney, right? Uh, Bob Iger's on the board of Apple. Yes, he thank is you. The, he is the chairman of Disney, uh, he, which, he's I think, t- which I think means he's on the board. Yeah, he's tangentially related to mm-hmm. to Disney. He's the, he's the one in the mouse costume at uh, uh, Disney World. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so he's on the board of Apple. Um, do you think like the fact that Apple, man, I'm losing it today. Do you think the fact, actually, no, that was right. The fact that Apple is getting into the original content business, do you think that creates any conflicts of interest with one, their neutrality towards promoting and allowing other people on uh, the devices and streaming hardware that they make? Um, and for people who might be related to other entertainment businesses being related, uh, being involved in Apple's business? No. Um, and I, I think a lot of people have made the comparison with Iger being on the board uh, to when Eric Schmidt was on the Apple's board around the launch of the original iPhone. But the the huge difference and the reason you really can't compare these two situations is... You know, the iPhone ended up becoming Apple's primary source of revenue, and Google ended up competing in that same space with Android. Whereas with Apple TV Plus, there is there is a exactly zero percent chance that that service becomes any sort of really meaningful business for Apple's bottom line, and so you know. Referring to that as being, or like referring to other companies who are offering streaming services and original content as being these like competitors that they have to watch out for is is silly because Apple TV Plus is never going to be anything outside of a rounding error for Apple. So then, why is Apple doing it? So (laughs) I think I think everything you just said applies that Apple does not need to be in the original content business at all. If it's if it's not going to be a meaningful part of their of, of their balance sheet, then why why even bother? Other than this making this more complicated and crowded and annoying. I mean, I, I think these are all fair questions. <laughs> Thank you, counselor. Um, yeah. So that's that. Uh, you have a a, a food product review. This is, this is a very disjointed episode. But you you sent me a thing, even though I thought you were on Team Kind, not Team Cliff Bar. But apparently, you ventured out and went to Amazon Go or something and <laughs> paid cash. And you you got a Cliff Blueberry Smoothie Bar or something? So yeah, these were one of the bars where we were kind of looking around and seeing all the ridiculous um, kind of quote-unquote health, like granola bar type things that were out there. And the one that really caught my eye were these Cliff smoo- fruit smoothie filled bars <laughs> um so i felt i felt compelled to try one of these and found uh what was the photo it was like an acai thing acai blueberry or something i can't find it in the, in the robot um so it, it ended up actually not so i have the first thing of course i did was look at the nutritional facts because that's that was kind of the angle that we focused on when we chatted about it a month or two ago how much organic sugar is in it (laughs) so (laughs) so it's actually only 11 total grams of sugar with eight of those being added which is i mean it's it's a fairly small bar so i don't want to give it too much credit (laughs) but that was less than i was anticipating um and, and across the board it's 230 calories um nothing nothing too egregious except for the taste it just it just it was um it was just not good it was um 
I know I I know I know I was saying earlier that, you know, I want my desserts to be sweet. That's fine. But but this thing was was too sweet. Would it have benefited from the extra frosting I would have discarded? <laughs> I don't think it would have, no. Real um, quick, is this one of those you know how like the traditional cliff bar basically looks like uh, earthquake kit food? Yes. Is it one of those where it's oh, very, super very much so. But not just and by I, taste, but like by texture. That's the main problem with classic cliff bars, is that the texture is just disgusting. Thank you. So that that's where I wanted to go next, because not only was the flavor not very good, but the thing that really made it just just bad was the texture because you've got this outside which is kind of like soft but also kind of grainy and then you have this center that is even softer and also kind of a weird texture so it's just like all these different soft textures that then end up getting like mashed together oh it's just yeah it's not not very good yeah, stuff like this seems like um, like fig newtons, like and stuff like you know, it's like it's all super artificial, but it's also like allegedly supposed to be real fruit, but it's just gross paste. It seems like that's kind of what this might be, but I don't know. Yeah, seems gross. Um, and we'll skip the T-Mobile thing. I only put that in there because the, he was using a stupid magenta sharpie, and that was the the, the gist of my outrage. <laughs> um all right let's uh let's blow through some stuff um actually this is very timely so we'll let's let's move this above the apple stuff uh the galaxy fold there was a lot <laughs> there was a lot that developed today before uh in uh after you wrote you compiled this outline um so let's pretend what happened today didn't happen so the Galaxy Fold is a $1,800 or $2,000 phone uh, that is one of the first, uh, along with, I think it's called the Huawei Mate X. So, yeah, that's the, um, that's kind of, that's the only other competitor with um, the Galaxy Fold, except it does, it does a reverse. It, it doesn't, it doesn't fold like a book. It folds like a Lumio lamp. Um... So yeah, it's, it's a very expensive phone that has, um, it's kind of like a, it's, it's a eight inch display on the inside, but it's in a four by three aspect ratio. So the whole point is like, this is, um, the first mass market is probably too charitable, but it's the first mass produced, um, foldable phone coming from Samsung. And before today's stuff happened, I think I'm probably more bullish on it than you, but what, what is your opinion before today's thing? That it's an overpriced. That doesn't that doesn't count. Beta product that okay. Samsung's charging people eighteen hundred dollars for. Yeah, the price doesn't matter. Um, beta product, yes. Well, so what do you think of the concept? Because foldable phones are going to become a thing. It's just going to take five to eight years for them to be good. So why 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 the hate from you and some other skeptics? Because new things are always expensive. I actually think the concept seems interesting. But, and actually, even the price on its own, like if this were a killer piece of technology, you could probably talk yourself into why $1,800 makes sense. Especially you can, when you, you, you have a 10S Max, right? Like you have the 256 10S Max, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's $1,250. That's, I mean, that's most of the way there. Right. 
But, I mean, the fact is, which, I mean, this inevitably gets to the news that came out today, which is this thing just seems completely busted. And that, so that's where the the price becomes quite the issue. Eh, had they not started shattering that, I know that's a big caveat. Um, I don't know. Like, had it held up? Well, so I don't know if you... That's like saying I've had the Hindenburg not crashed or whatever. Like, I mean, jeez. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if go. you saw... Uh, did you see German's tweets, too? I, I did. So there, in addition to the shattering issue, there's apparently another weird thing where the phone comes... Like, you know how every new phone or and lots... Anything with a screen, well, basically... So, so let me clarify for you. Sorry. So uh, before the Galaxy Fold came out, all of the S10 models because they have that ultrasonic um in display screen protector samsung has been uh begun including screen protectors uh with the phones so and the thing is if you actually unbox the phone it's not like an iphone where it's insanely obvious you're supposed to remove this because this was only designed to protect the device during shipping like these are designed to stay on the phone but apparently, yeah, that memo didn't get out to a lot of tech viewers, and everybody started peeling off that thing. And with the S10 generation of phones, it's not apparently crucial to the structural integrity of the phone, but apparently on the uh, Galaxy Fold, it is. Well, and, that, and that's crazy. And in these reviewers' defense, you're right that the iPhone and Apple products in general, I mean, they're, I mean, they're, their packaging is really good, and they make it obvious kind of what you're supposed to do. But there are a number of occasions where you'll buy something that has a screen that might have some kind of little film protector on it where it's it's not super obvious whether you're supposed to take it off or not. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> having there be ambiguity around that, but then it ended up being that this is like a critical part of the screen functioning and remaining functional. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's it's bad. Did you... How do you spell Joanna Stern? Uh, it's two ends. Okay. Did you see the thing that she posted? I did not. Uh, let me put a link in the thing. Um, but yeah, a uh, Samsung got back to her with an official statement. Uh, separately, a few reviewers reported rev- uh, removing the top layer of the display, causing damage to the screen. The main display on the Galaxy Fold features a top protective layer, which is part of the display structure. Blah, blah, blah. We will ensure this information is more clearly delivered to our customers. Like, that's not really a great strategy where if you remove something that looks like packaging material, uh, you dramatically increase the chances of breaking your device. <laughs> that's not great. No. Like, that's the equivalent of Apple saying you should not, you should only use your MacBook Pro in a clean room. Like, like both of them are wrong. Oh, man. Um. All right. So that's that. Uh, <laughs> friend of the show, Gene Munster. Uh, this This will be very brief, but it just needs to go in the show notes because it made me so mad. So, uh, headline from CNBC, Netflix doesn't have a good business model, says tech investor Gene Munster. A guy that for a decade proclaimed Apple is going to make a television set uh, is now complaining that the company making content that runs on that alleged television set is, does not have a good business model. So, I mean, it is kind of a fair point, uh, kind of, where um, if you've looked at Netflix's financials, they are uh, uh, issuing tons and tons of debt and borrowing heavily to make tons and tons of uh, content investment up front um, based off the idea that 
eventually they'll get subscriber numbers that manage to offset that and it makes sense. So I mean they're they're burning cash very very quickly and they're making tons of investments. But yeah, the whole I mean people freaked out a little bit and there's kind of a big drop in the stock momentarily in after hours because the their most recent earnings report was not amazing. I mean it was fine, but I guess maybe the, the subscriber numbers were slightly under analyst expectations. But just I mean Gene, stop it. I guess so if I can just play devil's advocate a little play, bit here. Play gene advocate. Mm-hmm. He does point out something that I think does ultimately need to be addressed with Netflix, which is they lose significant amounts of money every year, <laughs> which doesn't seem to be incredibly sustainable in the long run. Like he points out that they're free cash flow for this year is expected to be negative $3.5 billion. So I guess, you know, sort of like what's, what's the end game there? I mean, the end game is that they, well, one, they're, uh, they're not going to pay Disney any more royalties pretty soon. Um, that's free up some money, but they, like I, the whole point is that eventually you hit critical mass of subscribers and you are making so much content on your own. You don't have to pay licensing fees to somebody else. And they are just a de facto entertainment source for people. And because they would have built up such an enormous global back catalog of content that maybe creating new content at such an aggressive clip will not be necessary in the future. Like it's a gamble, but I don't. I I don't think their business model is entirely unsound. Like I mean, same thing with Disney, where they um, I forget offhand what they had projected or announced that they were going to commit to spending on original content in the first like three or four years of the service. But it was it was pretty aggressive, and they were going to spend a whole ton of money on it. In addition to giving um, their back catalog stuff at um, not below cost, but maybe below what traditional. Um, distribution channels would have valued that at yeah but the difference with disney is they can subsidize that through other profitable parts of the business whereas with netflix i mean that's that's what they are yeah i like i don't yeah i don't, I don't buy that like i i, I because the, the most obvious compare uh, comparison comparison to that is that like you have lyft and uber going public very quickly and you have businesses where they're spending really aggressively and there's a very narrow um, success case where they, they completely dominate the market and eventually are able to change certain parts of their business to just become a money printing enterprise and stuff like that. And I just like, I don't think Netflix is that. I think the strategies are somewhat similar in certain ways, but I think the fundamentals of the um, of the industry and the economics around it aren't. Like the the window for success is not Uber level, you know what I mean? I to me this is the this is the Amazon problem, right? Which is, you know, there's there's been this long there's always this hope of investors that where yeah you invest in this company that's losing a bunch of money, but eventually they're going to get to such a scale they're going to be able to turn things around and become wildly profitable at some point. And that's, you know, that's exactly what Amazon was able to do. They famously reinvested, reinvested, reinvested in the business, you know, kind of took small losses every quarter, but at at some point eventually could just kind of turn the switch on and 
you know, make massive amounts of money. And so now there's like this expectation that every company that's in a similar money losing position at first is going to be able to make that same kind of turnaround. But Apple, I mean, Amazon's story, <laughs> too much Apple. <laughs> um, Amazon's story is just, it's so unique, it's, it's, especially when you start thinking about like how they kind of backed into and accidentally found their most profitable part of the business in AWS. But that, that's exactly it, where AWS was able to make the financials look good for so long while the retail business was being built up. And they, yeah, AWS was, yeah, they like between 2008 and like 2016, that was the majority of all their profits while they were kind of figuring things out. Right. And so I, but to now kind of have that same expectation because I mean, you know, I'm I'm not saying anything that lots of others haven't started to point out, but like, I mean, there's going to come a day where, you know, Uber <laughs> companies have to make money, Netflix, all of these food delivery services, all of these companies that are just hemorrhaging cash and are not operating at any sort of profitable level are going to have to either dramatically raise prices or go out of business. I mean, or we could just fire the Fed and the, the stock market would be 10,000 <laughs> points higher. Yeah, okay. That's that's an idea. Yeah, so the Netflix thing, I mean, yeah, I think I think the Amazon comparison is is good and I mean I, I think I think it's tricky just cuz again Amazon had the difference of like Netflix doesn't have an AWS. Well, no, but that that's that's the point. I mean, I I probably didn't do a very good job getting it, but that that's my point. Well, but I, I like, and, and actually, you, you you defined, but like, sorry, well, maybe like you made you made that uh, that that made sense, but I don't know why I just have a much better. And actually, maybe I don't have a lot of empirical or or um, uh, like secular evidence related to this, but like I just feel I have a much better uh, feeling about Netflix. Like their their brand is just so good. Like it's, but in, and it's not like an Uber brand where people are like, I don't know how they're providing the service at such a cheap rate. Like, I just feel like when, when it becomes crunch time with digital media services, I think in the end, it's going to be Netflix and Disney Plus are going to be the two things that people find invaluable. Like, nobody's going to go, nobody's going to not have any entertainment service. And who on earth is going to choose Hulu or something else over Netflix? Like, and eventually, if they have to start scaling back the content spending, that's fine. But just like they have so much stuff. Like when people think of stuff that's not cable, it's Netflix. Like I just think that's a really strong market position that you would have to really mess up to not find a way to kind of fix that. Like I think they have a lot of runway with that. Yeah, I you're not wrong, but man, that's 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 a big bet. Yeah, but it's a much better bet than Lyft or Uber. Yeah, hundred percent. That's 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 true. And I, yeah, I actually, I mean, I I really do agree that when all of this streaming stuff gets sorted out, we're going to be left with Netflix and Disney. I I actually really do think that's right. Like, and that's and that's the reason why I keep doubling down on the fact that like Apple TV Plus is such a dumb idea. Like, it's just it's not a good use of capital. And it just why nothing about Apple makes a position to be a, a, a great player here. Like just keep being a middleman. That's that's what they love anyway. Just take money off of, of uh, Apple TV channels and just call it a day. I don't, I don't want to have another 
Apple TV we discussion. Won't. For the love um, of God, we won't. But but actually, no, there actually is one question that I want to ask you that maybe I should have thought of in those previous discussions. Mm-hmm. Does does Apple TV Plus does it make more sense to you if it's a free service that you get on but only if you have Apple products? Does that make it No. Because it, it's dumb for a lot of reasons. Um, it's dumb because if it, if that were the case and you were J.J. Abrams or whoever whoever those people that Jason Snell talks about all the time, if you're one of those people and even if it was free but only 30% of people could watch it, like when you get to us, like, and I, I don't know a lot of Hollywood, Hollywood directors, but like when you get to a certain point, like you want people to be able to watch what you're making. Like part of it is that, yeah, you want your big payday, but you also want people to see the awesome stuff you're making. See, I don't, I don't see that as being a good thing. Like, like it being exclusive to a certain type of product, like where you can only watch these video files because you own a thing with a Apple logo on it. I don't think that's great. And I think if that were to be the case, they would have trouble attracting talent to make the stuff that they want to make. Um, so yeah, so that's where the pricing of it doesn't like, I mean, cause again, uh, famously during that, uh, services event, uh, last month, they didn't announce a price for it and people are kind of still unsure. Is it going to be like a sidecar thing to Apple music? Is it going to be free for Apple devices? Are they going to try to charge $15 a month for it? But then I really feel like, like, and I know, I know Apple, um, thinks too highly of, this sounds really negative. Well, but it's true. Apple thinks way too highly of themselves. So I think they still think they can charge more for Disney Plus, even though they have literally nothing to show for it. They have like four shows and Disney has a hundred years of amazing content. So I have no idea. So yeah, like, I don't know. I don't think they would do a thing where it's free for everybody with an Apple device. I I, I think eventually that would cause a problem for them trying to uh, attract talent. I have to imagine the pricing on Disney Plus has has worried some within Apple. I really like I assume Tim Cook or or Eddie Cube sent like a really nasty text message to Bob Iger right afterward. Or maybe he wrote it and then didn't send it. <laughs> well or he or he wrote it in the notes app and sent a screenshot. Oh yeah, yeah, but iMessage was down. I don't know. Um yeah, cuz that that's the thing again like we talked about last week. Disney Plus that is such an aggressive price point. And that's really um yeah, like I know in two years it's going to go up to the the twelve ninety nine or whatever that it should be, um, and this is just a glorified introductory rate uh, where they're trying to lure people in. But geez, to start, that's that's yeah, that's that's rough for everybody but them. Hmm. Hmm. Um. And eventually, I mean, I assume that, like they didn't announce it, but they're probably going to make like a ten dollar a month bundle that includes ESPN Plus, right? They have to. I, I would think so, yeah, and they because um, nine ninety nine for the two of those would that would be that's 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 pretty great. Uh, Jason smartly pointed this out on Upgrade this week too, where uh, ABC content was kind of um, um, missing from the original announcement. Which or like is, because like with that big screenshot that they showed of what Disney Plus looks like, and they had all their brand tiles, like how even Nat Geo, which is a Fox property, uh, is is up there, but you don't see ABC broadcast. Exactly. So that seems kind of conspicuous. So, yeah. 
like conspicuous meaning there you think they might hold that content back or you think they think that's going to be like the extra sweetener for people i think i think the, i think just in the sense that there's going to be more to the story i think there's going to be um like 6.99 might be the like standalone price for disney plus but kind of like in the tesla model of pushing people towards the standard plus god you got another plus uh <laughs> model they're gonna really want to push you towards hey for maybe it's 9.99 to start but then kind of creeped its way up to like 14.99 17.99 you can get disney plus whatever the equivalent for abc content is espn plus and hulu something like that how much does cbs all access cost i don't know i cbs I, i've never looked just, at it because i don't no. care about star trek right uh but i do kind of want to watch that um reboot of the twilight zone but not enough to subscribe to this uh it costs try it for free that's not a price why why do you all make this so difficult there's literally no price on this website this is like this is this is why buying a car is such a miserable experience most of the time oh just tell, so just tell me the price of the car so if you click through, well, again, that's whole Tim Cook's whole fucking thing is it's financial engineering. They're going to find a way to make their expensive phones not look so uh, so expensive by doing financial engineering and, and dumb stuff like that. Pick a plan for CBS All Access. And this is the other thing that bugs me. And this is why I feel like uh, morally Netflix should win out because I hate Hulu and also CBS All Access where you, you can subscribe with commercials. No, no commercials. Knock it off. CBS All Access costs $10 a month without commercials, $6 with commercials. That's too much money. Another that's, reason why. That's definitely too much money. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Um, so I would propose maybe, so it's getting a little late. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would propose we hit on the Apple Qualcomm thing mm -hmm. um, and then table probably the rest of this for next week. Eh, probably true or probably sensible let's see how much we get out of the mile uh, out of the apple stuff go for it so this is this seems like big news right so qualcomm and apple have been in this legal battle for what seems like forever like when it was starting to get back into the news because i think they were going to go to trial starting this week right like so when this came up in the news again i was like jesus didn't this get settled like months ago <laughs> it just feels like it keeps coming up again over and over in the news um but then out of the blue apple puts out this press release yesterday saying that they that both parties had come to an agreement and that apple would make a, a cash payment to qualcomm as part of a settlement and that the companies would then start to um allow apple to license qualcomm's technology again and i guess kind of more specifically and what kind of what the heart of the story is is apple's going to start using qualcomm's 5g modems which you you probably know a little bit more about this than me but it kind of it seems like qualcomm is the only one out there making viable good 5g modems at scale and so unless Apple wants to be super late to the 5G party, then, you know, they kind of had no choice but to play ball with Qualcomm. Yeah, so this, this is tricky for a number of reasons. So, and, and the other curious wrinkle to this is that um, 
earlier in the week, uh, Huawei, uh, Huawei CEO gave uh, an interview to CNBC where he said they would be open to um, being a modem supplier for Apple, which at the time I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But it now, like with news coming out like four days later about this, I was like, okay, that makes it makes a lot more sense. Because, yeah, like it's either use Qualcomm's technology uh, or Samsung is making their own modems. So like the Galaxy S10 4G which will be out later this year is going to use, it's going to be a Samsung manufactured modem, but it's going to be uh, using a ton of uh, patents and licensing uh, from Qualcomm. So the only other alternative was either you use Huawei, which I'm not going to get, we do not have time to get into the uh, political and uh, and very likely um, security implications of uh, an American company doing that. Um, but the problem with that is like you you have those issues, so that's a kind of a non-starter for Apple. And then Intel, um, people will remember that ever since the iPhone 7, that was probably the biggest generation where uh, Apple and Intel were experimenting with um, different modem technologies. That's one of the reasons why the iPhone 7 uh, doesn't have like a one-size-fits-all phone unless it's a Verizon phone. Like they actually split it where GSM providers like AT&T and T-Mobile and most European carriers had a specific Intel modem inside of them where all the other um, CDMA, CDMA-based iPhones used Qualcomm chipsets. So for a while, Apple has been trying to diversify what modems they use in their phones, um, hopefully so that Intel was their um, like their backup date to like the cellular party. So the, like that kind of failed where either... Because like, Nikkei had an article today where Apple just wasn't confident that Intel could be the sole supplier and could be competitive and reliable enough to compete with Qualcomm's chipsets. So therefore, their bet, uh, Apple's bet in continuing the litigation and not settling with Qualcomm over the patent disputes, uh, all hinged on how successful they believed Intel could be in being their sole provider for modems. And I guess when push came to shove, like just Apple had to figure out that either they're going to take a big bet on potentially being behind on a 5g phone not just by like the one year that they're usually behind on network technology but by like a long shot where they just said fuck it we'll settle and then the like the chaser to the story is that after like the settlement came out like in the early afternoon here um on tuesday and then uh like six hours later intel says yeah we're abandoning all 5g wireless chipsets which meant that basically their only customer just said no. So therefore, who else is going to buy them in scale that makes that business avenue worth it for Intel? Yeah, I, I do appreciate that with Intel, there was no <laughs> no effort to really hide the true story here. And that they they basically just were like, yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, INTC quote: Their stock was up three point three percent today because, like people, like everybody is happy that they're abandoning this big bet that they made on something that probably was going to have negative returns in the long run. And Intel, like I mean, again, because they're having troubles um, manufacturing like desktop and mobile chips that are competitive, and that they totally missed the boat on like I mean, like they're they don't make ARM processors. Or I don't think they do. Uh, but they're not making the processors that go into any of the smartphones people are using, and and most like traditional computing platforms are on the decline. Um, like yeah, like they're this was supposed to be their next big thing. So now, like the only other bet Intel has is on like IoT chipsets and stuff like that. So yeah, apparently everybody's happy 
uh, Qualcomm is up like 20% uh, since Tuesday and Intel people are, I guess everybody's happy. They, they quit. I want, I wonder now if this experience that Apple's gone through really doubles their internal efforts at getting away from these third party chip dependencies. So that I don't know, because I think that's the whole point is that they now like they struck a seven year deal for uh patent uh, licensing for their 5g technology and stuff like that. So they i assume that means they can manufacture their own modems there because that's the whole thing is that apple for years has been working on vertical integration and finding ways to take everything in-house and that's where like there are all those rumors that people are going to make arm max and um they're gonna, like they're going to work intel out of that so pretty much every part is made and manufactured by apple so i assume once they have the ip and they, they have a license to use those patents like they will actually be the modem supplier and they'll they'll fabricate all that kind of stuff. It's just that they're using Qualcomm's technology. I know, but I guess what I'm saying is I wonder now if, you know, there's some whiteboard somewhere with an Apple that's like, all right, here's here's the seven year plan. Like we we've given ourselves this time where we have this kind of fallback to use. But by the end of this agreement, we want to be wholly able to not depend on Qualcomm, Intel, or others. Yeah, but that's where, like, I mean, I, I, I don't know the, the, the industry that intimately, but, like, I assume if they could have engineered around it, they would have. Like, I, I don't really see what, unless there's going to be, like, well, when 6G comes out, we're going to make sure we're not relying on anybody. But like 5G is going to have a really like the latency and bandwidth implications make it a very long term strategy or I, I, I don't like if they could have engineered around, it, I think they would have. I, I, I'm not sure that's going to be the case, but I'm sure that's what they would want. So I, I guess I feel a little um, I feel like my uh, T word credentials are being um, questioned a little bit here, but um, I guess I didn't really fully appreciate what a big deal 5G was. Mm-hmm. Like it sounds like it's it's like it's the it's the jump from like VHS to DVD or like DVD to HD. Like it seems like it's it's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, just because the application it allows. I mean, because like it's it's gonna be a very 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 low latency standard that allows like it. The whole thing is where like your fridge and your your ride hailing Tesla that's making you money while you're at work. Like all those things are going to get to the 5G network that rely on extremely immediate data delivery and stuff like that. Um, and no, it's going to it's going to be super important. And like the and also from like a cell network side of things of how dense the networks have to be for that reliability to be there. Like it's it's going to be a big investment on everybody's part. And it's like yeah, I mean like 4G was a big step up, but like yeah, 5G is supposed to be just like just home broadband in your hand. And like, I mean, that's like, I don't think Apple can sit that out. Like in the same way when the original iPhone came out, they were, they shipped an edge phone when 3G was actually fairly mainstream. I I don't think they can afford to be two years behind on 5G. So yeah, we'll see. All right. Um, Any quick bits or chef specials? I think let's get to the chef specials. Yep. So I I don't remember um, 
if I had made this a pick of mine uh, back when I bought it a couple of years ago, it feels like something I, I probably would have made a pick, but it's it's at least it's been a while, even if I have. So let me pull open the Amazon link and send this to you in the notes. I'm clicking around on the thing. Here we go. Um, so you, you're probably not going to be a fan of this because I, I don't think you're a fan of, uh, backpacks in general, but so I had bought, this is the in-case icon slim pack. This is my everyday carry, as you would say. Um, so this is what I bring with me to work every single day. Um, and kind of just with me in general, um, wherever I go, whenever I'm bringing my laptop um or even like just ipad or whatever uh it's a it's a phenomenal little backpack super as an as the name would imply super slim but also really functional uh really light um and after you know over two years of having it now it still looks like brand new whatever material it's made of is super like dirt resistant it doesn't the color hasn't faded at all it's just a great simple little backpack is this the one i could remember you you'd advocated for a messenger bag or a backpack that you said had little things on it so that you could uh it could uh, integrate into a roller bag is this that or is that something else no i have a i have another backpack that i bring when i'm traveling because um it, it fits on top of my roller bag, and then it's also nice just to have a separate bag that already has, like, all of my travel stuff in it so that I can just, you know, I don't have to worry about, like, packing that stuff. Like, if I used this same backpack from both day-to-day and then travel, I'd have to, like, take all the travel stuff out and then remember to put it back in. So I like having a basically a go bag, you know. Mm-hmm. It has a faux fur-lined laptop compartment. Very, 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 very luxurious. Very, very plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. What do I have? Mm, yeah, I mean, like I, this is this is this is a tentative pick of the week or, or chef specials. Um. I will say it is the Epson Fast Photo F F and sorry, photo spelled F O T O F F six eighty W. Um, so yeah, so this is, I've been, uh, working on a project where I'm digitizing a whole bunch of stuff, uh, and a lot of photos. Um, and I, I looked at, I actually had to look up the receipt, my, um, Fujitsu scan snap that I had, that was my previous document scanner I purchased in 2009. So it literally is a decade old. Um, and it's done very well, but, um, yeah, I wanted to digitize a bunch of photos so this is one of the only products that actually does this uh, with any speed or where um, that's like its main function. Uh, this allows you, um, it's a document and photo scanner that allows you to just drop 40 photos on it at once and it will just scan them for you like they were just like a paper document. And the software for it is the absolute worst but also kind of okay. Like I assume every printer and scanner has horrible software and it's very on Mac like, and it's not terribly efficient, but it's, it's pretty okay. Like, I mean, once you hit the button and you throw 40 photos on it, like it does its job and it 
looks weird, but it it, it gives you some high res JPEGs. So overall, for somebody, if anybody wants a document scanner, because I know we were talking about you got the the brother wire cutter pick last week for your your new home office. Um, if you also want to digitize photos, this is pretty good. Like it's not uh, the photo quality or the picture quality of the scans is not as good as um, a good high end flatbed scanner. But when you think of the fact that you it scans um, at high res a photo every second, it's it's pretty great. So I, I don't the the price that I'm seeing here six hundred dollars is is that the price you paid? I, I got it on sale at five thirty. But okay. again, for like if you need to digitize thousands of photos, there are no other options that are that are good. Like there are a few others that are fine. Like I mean, because you, you could throw pictures in the Fujitsu Scan Snap that I have, but the picture quality is not good. Like those things are made for um, like charts and things that might be on a printed document, but for actual like glossy photos, they're not good. So this is pricey, but if you think about it, like the price that I paid for my ScanSnap, and I think that's one of the reasons you said you went with the brother model, is that most ScanSnaps are still like four to five hundred dollars. So this isn't egregiously or like outrageously priced. Yeah, I mean, maybe my view of what the price of a scanner should be is just not right. I mean, I would have expected like six hundred dollars for this thing to equate to absolutely incredible scan quality which it sounds like it's pretty good but but not spectacular but i but i guess if it, it, it i guess if you're scanning lots and lots of pictures then yeah i mean i guess that makes sense well so for comparison if you think about what a high-end flatbed scanner costs those cost a thousand dollars and those are a single photo or um like slides or negatives at a time like, I mean, I also have the, I think it's called the Perfection 550, um, which is pretty good. But I mean, it's it's a decent scanner um, that does 1200 DPI and, or sorry, 3600 DPI. And that one's $200. Like, this is kind of a thing where like niche photography stuff is, just, they know the audience isn't that big. So therefore, they it has, it, it just ends up being pricier. Huh. Wow. Yeah. I, I, um, yeah, I guess like <laughs> don't ever take like up the, photography as a hobby. Yeah, this is the price of this stuff that like I would have expected to see like 15 years ago. I guess I would have thought the price on this stuff would have come way down. It's the thing where the quality keeps getting better, but yeah, but also the audience isn't getting bigger, so therefore it 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 stays high. Got it. 